there. Uh, now I want to ask the question, why is prayer so important? Why is it so important? I mean, can our prayers really change things? With billions of people around the world praying at least from time to time, is prayer really going to make a difference if one of us decides to pray? One measly person praying. And we're in the book of Daniel, as I said. We're going to be looking at chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And in these verses, we're going to see Daniel praying once again. Daniel's already been given several visions in chapters 6 through 9. And he knows now what's going to happen in the future. He knows what's going to happen, and yet he prays. He prays. So why is he praying so much? I mean, if he already knows what's going to happen, why would he pray? And that's one of the issues and one of the questions that we're going to be exploring this morning as we study Daniel 9. But before we answer that question, we're going to be looking at one of Daniel's prayers in chapter 9. And uh, you don't need to raise your hand here, but have you ever felt like you should be praying, but you don't know what to pray? Any of you feel like that? Or maybe you're, you're on the newer side to, to the faith, and you don't know how to pray. You're like, I want to pray, but I don't know how to pray. What, what do I do? What do I do? And so Daniel, I'm going to just go ahead and say it, is an expert prayer. He's an expert prayer. And so there's a lot that we can take away, and there's a lot that we can learn from Daniel when it comes to praying. And so let's go ahead and let's start in verse 1 today of chapter 9, and let's see what we can learn from Daniel about prayer today. Starting in verse 1 again. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of the reign, I, Daniel. And so that, those verses just basically give us the context of where we're at. And so if you remember, so verse chapters 6 and on uh, are the, the apocalyptic visions, and in this particular chapter, uh, one of his prayers, but this goes back in time. So chapters 1 through 6, so I guess, so the, the vision start in chapter 7. Chapters 1 through 6 go through a long period of time for Daniel, but now we're going back to right about when Darius the Mede took over. So it's sort of back in time now. Verse, uh, continuing in verse 2. Perceived in the books the number of the years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So before I get into the prayer part, I want to point out one other action that Daniel takes that's important for us to see. And we're going to see later that this first one is very important to the prayer part. But first we see that Daniel is studying the word of God. He's studying the word of God. So he, in this particular situation, is doing an in-depth analysis, an in-depth study of Jeremiah. 
And most likely, he was studying Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, and probably more than that. And then also Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. And in these two passages, God says that the people of Israel will be taken over by Babylon. Now that's old news to Daniel because he's part of what that was prophesying. But then both passages say that the captivity will end after, 50, after 70 years. And so let me read one of those Jeremiah passages, Jeremiah chapter 29, 10. And I thought I would include verse 11 just because it's so well known. It'll give you a little context for verse 11 in the future. So let me start with verse 10 here. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will promise you my, and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Many of you know verse 11, but now you know what he's leading into from verse 10. So not only is Daniel in the word of God on a regular basis, but he's not just checking off his, his prayer, his, his um, reading guide here. He's actually doing a deep dive into it. He's studying it and learning from it, and his uh, reading is impacting his life. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to be going down the path of talking about the importance of Bible reading, of getting into Scripture. I've talked about that many times before, and I'm sure I'll be talking about that in the future. But listen, if we want to grow spiritually, we must be in the Bible on a regular basis. We must be in the Bible. And as we're going to see, it also impacts our prayers as well. And so Daniel reads that his nation's time of judgment is almost over. Those 70 years are almost up. So what does he do next? Verse 3, he says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So what is Daniel's next action here? Daniel turns to God in prayer. And if you've been here for parts of the series as we've gone through Daniel, you know that this is not the first time that Daniel has prayed. In fact, I would say that Daniel is a serial prayer offender. That the whole reason in chapter, I believe it's chapter 6, that he was thrown into the den of lions was because he would not stop praying. He just could not stop. It was like it was ingrained in him that he had to spend time with God in prayer. And if someone were to ask a friend of Daniel's to describe Daniel, I'm thinking that one of the first things that would be said about him would be like, well, he prays a lot. And I want to ask you, would anyone ever say that about you or about me? Well, he, he prays so much. I like how Oswald Chambers describes it. He says, we tend to use our prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be a, our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray 
before we do anything at all. Or, as Martin Luther says, as is the business of tailors to make clothes, cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. And so for the rest of the passage, verses 4 through 19, that's what Daniel's actually going to be doing. He's going to be praying, and we're going to take a look and see what he prays about. And we're going to see what we can learn from Daniel's prayer here in verses 4 through 19. I'm not going to go into every single verse just for the sake of time. Instead, I'm going to point out three different types of prayers that Daniel prays in these verses. And so here's the first one. Daniel intentionally praised God. He praised God. He says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Or skipping ahead to verse 7. To you belongs righteousness. Skipping ahead to verse 14. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. Some of you have uh, spent time over your life praising your spouse. Any of you like that, hopefully? And uh, at times, it's probably easy to do. At other times, it gets a little difficult, doesn't it? Because uh, sometimes your spouse isn't always your favorite person. But when we think of God, listen, God is and should be the easiest person to praise. Because there is nothing wrong with him, even though there's maybe just one or two things wrong with your spouse. No poking, okay? And so it's no coincidence that when we move to the New Testament, that Jesus' model prayer starts out the same way. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's saying, praise your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so prayer, our prayers should be saturated with praise. It should be saturated with praise. Now, why is praise so important? One of the benefits is that praise puts everyone involved in their proper place. And so when you praise God, you are humbling yourself before God. And you're lifting God up. You're exalting Him. So you're putting yourself in the right position and you're putting Him in the right position. And praise also takes your eyes off yourself and puts them on the God. But even more, it takes your eyes off your problems and puts them on the God. John Piper talks about two different types of magnifying. So the, a microscope makes small things look big. Small things look big. But a telescope makes big things look as they really are or should be seen. And Christians, guess what we are called to be? We're called to be like telescopes, not microscopes. Now, I'm, I'm going to admit, we 
are really good, myself included. We're really good at making small things big, aren't we? We love buying touchdowns and politicians and cars and purses and whatever else. We love magnifying these types of things. But Daniel's example is a challenge to us to not be like a little magnifying glass, but be like a telescope to make God look as big as we possibly can make him. Because guess what? He's even bigger than that. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And why are you all these things? What are you supposed to do? He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that's just an awesome Bill and Ted way of saying that you are called to proclaim, to praise God. That, that when you think of praise, you don't have to think of some, like some spiritual word. Oh Lord God, thou be magnified today. Like you can say that. That's, that's all biblically accurate. But you can also say, God, you are awesome. You can just describe him. Because, because there is nothing wrong with God, because God is great, simply describing is praising Him. God, you are in control. God, you know all things. God, you are wiser and bigger than any of my problems. And that right there is praising Him as well. So I want to encourage all of us. Let's be people who proclaim the excellencies of God. So that's the first type of prayer that we see in this passage. Here's the second. Daniel honestly and transparently confessed his and really his nation's sins. So he spends a time of confession. Verse 5, he says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Now, let's be honest. Is Daniel one of the serial offenders of sins here? I would say that he was one of the more pure, righteous guys. He's one of the ones that God uses because he was open and willing to be used by God. But even Daniel recognizes that even if he's sinning less, he is still full of sin. Verse 8, he also says, To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Or verse 9, we have rebelled against him have, uh, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which we have set before us by our servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. So let's think about this. As Daniel's praying these confessions to God, did God not know these things had happened? Of course he knew. In fact, they were under judgment they were in captivity because of these sins. So he was well past the time of God knowing these things. 
But if that's the case, then why is he confessing these to God if he already knew about these sins? To take it a step further, thinking about us, why should we confess sins if we've already been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ? And the answer is that. And it's just like praise that confession puts us in the right position before God. That it puts us in the right position before God. It humbles us, which in turn exalts God. And when it comes to our struggles with sin, there is no better place to be than humbled before God. I read about a, a story about a drug addict who was uh, married, just had a baby, and she found, con- she found healing through confession. And she writes about the day that she tried to stop doing drugs. It was the middle of the night by this point. She was lying on the floor feeling awful as she was going through these withdrawal symptoms. In, her, in the next room over was her newborn baby who was sleeping. And she knew that if she didn't change, that her baby would be taken away from her, which she did not want to happen. Her husband was out right, right then at that moment trying to find uh, additional drugs. And she lay there on the carpet, and with her, she had a small piece of paper that her mom had handed her at some point before that had the phone number of a Christian counselor. And so at 2 a.m., feeling desperate, she calls the phone number. The man answers, hello? And she says, uh, hi, I got your number from my mother. Uh, Do you think that maybe you could talk to me? And the guy says, yes, yes, of course, what's going on? And so she began sharing all her concerns. She began sharing about her fears that she was having. She told him how her marriage was going really, really poorly. She shared that she thinks she, she might have a drug problem. And the man kept listening and adding in occasional compassionate comments. And, and they continued to talk all the way until just before the sun started rising. And by then, after all of this time, she was starting to feel a little bit better. And so she told the guy, hey, I really appreciate you and what you've done for me. Uh, by the way, how long have you been a Christian counselor? And there was a long pause there. And finally, the man said, please don't hang up. But I'm afraid to tell you this. You got the wrong number. I'm not a therapist, but I've really enjoyed talking to you. And she didn't hang up, but she said as she wrote the story that she never got his name and she never spoke with him again. But that night, through the compassion of that man listening to him and through her confessions to him, she, led, she went through the path of finding sobriety. And when she wrote about this story many, many years later, having been sober for a really long time, her baby had just graduated from Princeton with honors. And you may be thinking, though, Kyle, that's not a story about confessing to God. And I'm like, oh, you caught me. No. I say, you're right. You're right. But if confessing to a stranger can do that much, how much more can happen when you confess to God? 
to the one who holds all things together, to the one who died for you so that you might find true life. And so I want to encourage each of us, bring your sins to God. And the Bible does say confess to others, but listen, bring them to God as well. Take them to God. So that's the second type of prayer. Here's the third one that we're going to look at. That is that Daniel asked God for help. He asked God for help. And when you do the first two types of prayer correctly, this next one comes naturally. And so you've praised God and humbled yourself. You've confessed the God and humbled yourself. And by now, you are recognizing that you can't do this on your own, at least in your own power. But if you've gotten this far in your prayer, you know about someone who can. And so he says in verse 17, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Or in verse 18, he says, O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see your desolation in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I want to point out two different parts of this uh, petition time where he's asking God for help in, this, in the verses that we just read. First of all, Daniel doesn't ask based on his own worthiness. He says, according to all your righteous acts. Verse 18, he says, not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. So he knows he's not worthy here to stand before God and to ask for things. But he also knows that God is merciful and gracious to his people. And so he's asking based on God's graciousness, not on what he thinks he deserves. I mean, do we realize that God actually, he actually wants us to come to him? And do we realize that as Christians, that we have been given access to God through Jesus? Some days after church, after the service, I'm down here. And there's occasionally times where people come up and talk to me. Now, there's other days where no one comes and talks to me, so I'm not boasting here. Uh, but every once in a while, there's a little line that forms of people who want to talk to me about something. And so they wait patiently. No one's butting in front of the other to, to get to me or anything like that. But then at some point, the kids are released from children's ministry. And they get their snacks first. My kids rush to the snack area because they have their priorities. But then they rush to find their dad. And so they see me talking to someone, and guess what they do? They don't wait patiently. They run up to me, and give me a hug. Now, how dare they do that, right? What gives them the right to think that they can come up to Pastor Kyle? And the answer is very simple. Because to them, I'm not some pastor. 
I'm their father. I'm their dad. And as a child of mine, they have 24-7 access. Not because they've been good that day. Not because they've had good behavior that morning by not fighting. But because they are my children. Now listen, church. When we turn to Jesus, we are given that same 24-7 access to the throne of God. Not because we've earned it, because we certainly don't, didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But it's because Jesus made it possible. And through Jesus, we're adopted into the heavenly family and given that access. So let me ask you, are you using your heavenly access? Are you using the access, the unprecedented access that you've been given? Just think of the people in the Old Testament who would have loved to have the same kind of access that we in the New Testament have now. Do you, do you remember or realize what they had to go through to get to the presence of God? And yet now, through Jesus, all we have to do is turn to him and say, God, here I am. God, I'm coming to you with my problems. Hebrews 10, 19 and 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So that's the first thing that I want to point out from this passage. Here's the second thing that Daniel asked based on the promises of God. So do you remember him reading Jeremiah chapter 29, 10 and the other passage? That he had been given, the, that, that he had been in the Word of God and he knew what God said was going to happen. And he was praying those things. So he wasn't just praying on a whim. He was praying based on what God had promised to him. So he was asking God to do what God had already said he would do. And listen, church, this is why, one of the reasons why Bible reading is so important. Because Daniel would not have known the promises if he had not read Jeremiah. And this is why reading Scripture goes hand in hand with prayer. Because if you get deep into the Word of God, you will find that God has an enormous amount of promises to His people. And just about anything that you and I might be going through right now there is a related promise in the Bible that we can pray. For example, are you afraid today about something? Well, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Isaiah 41.10 Are you worried about something today? Well, we know that, that God says, casting all your anxieties on him because what? He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. What about maybe you are feeling unloved today? Well, we know that God so loved the world. John three sixteen. Or maybe you, you're in a position where you don't know what to do. But it says, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God generously. And he will give it to you, James 1.5. Do 
And I could go on and on here. But listen, God's throne is open to you. So will you enter it? And that's as far as we're going to get in our passage this morning. But you may have noticed, if you're following along on the teaching sheet, we still have a lot of points we haven't gotten to, have we? And so as we wrap up, I want to address the question that I asked in the beginning. Why? Why pray? Why did Daniel pray if God already knew what was going to happen? Or why do we pray if we already know that God has determined things? And so to answer this, I'm going to give you not one, not two, but nine rapid-fire reasons about why we should pray, even though God already knows the future. So if you are taking notes, get those pens ready, because we're going to go quick. First of all, God tells us to pray. We know in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it's not if you pray. We know in Matthew 6, 7, that it's when you pray. So it it is clear that we should be praying. And that alone should be enough. But there's plenty of more reasons from there. Verse uh, number two, people throughout the Bible prayed, including Jesus. So Daniel, we saw, prayed. David, King David, prayed. Mary uh, prayed. Paul prayed. And even Jesus prayed. Jesus, who was fully man, but also fully God, who knew the future, and yet he took time to pray. And if it was important to Jesus and to these other people I've mentioned, it should be important to us as well. As Christians, as the the little Christs, the ones who are trying to be like Jesus, let's follow his example and pray. Number three, prayer brings us closer to God. So as we pray, we're spending time with our Heavenly Father. And so in that quality time, it helps us grow in intimacy with Him. Number four, prayer gives us a new perspective. And so as you spend time in prayer and as you grow closer to God and you grow in your intimacy with him, you gain a new perspective of things. And so maybe right now you're praying things that aren't being answered or praying things that you're wondering if God's ever going to answer. And those might not even be the right prayers. And so As time goes on, as you spend time with God, you can get a new perspective and help shift your prayers going in the right direction. Number five, prayer can give us wisdom. They can give us wisdom. We're told in James chapter one, verse five, that if we need wisdom, we're told to ask for it. And if we do, God will give it to us. Number six, prayer is one way that we fight the enemy. And so we're told that the greatest enemy of ours is not a human, but is Satan and his demonic forces. And so when we pray, we're strengthening ourselves spiritually while also attacking the spiritual forces. Number seven, not praying leads to not getting. James 4.2 says, "You, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask. And sometimes God is waiting to move until his people ask for him to do it. Now, why in the world is that? And my answer is, that's above my pay grade. I don't know. But there's at times where God won't 
move until you ask Him. Number eight, God intends to use our prayers as a way to accomplish His will. And so sometimes we're stuck in thinking, oh, God's already determined things, so why should we pray? But perhaps God wants to use our prayers as a method of figuring, of, of working things out. So maybe it's his will to move, but he's waiting for you to pray, and that's part of his will to move. That'll mess with your head real quick, won't it? But listen, that's what happens, and, and, and it's tough to understand, but that is what the Bible says. Number nine, and lastly, that prayer changes things. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And I'm gonna, again, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know how this reconciles with God's sovereignty, with him being in charge. I don't know how all this works out, but the Bible says it. And so I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to take that. Last week, my family and I drove down to Maryland and Pennsylvania and, and all around on vacation two weeks ago. And as we were doing this, the kids were hanging out in the back, playing their electronics or listening to something. And so my wife and I would, would talk from time to time. Uh, and as we talked, we occasionally would come across some, some kind of a conversation between the two of us that the kids didn't need to know anything about. But at one point, maybe my wife is like, oh, you're really? And then in that moment when the kids would pop up and be like, what, what? And we would inevitably say, none of your business. None of your business. Some conversations are for the adults only. And listen, there are going to be some things that we won't ever understand until we get to heaven. God has some adult conversations that you and I are not ready for. But that's okay. Because we have plenty of other things that we're called to do in the meantime. And so I want to encourage us to focus on those. Prayer is one of them. We are called to pray. We are told that prayer works. And God has some promises that we should hold on to. And just like Daniel, we should pray those promises for our life and the life of others, for our uh, family, for our church, even for our nation. And so today as you go through life, I want, I want to encourage us that whether you're going through a tough time right now or whether you're going through a, a good time right now, let's be intentional about being with God. Let's humble ourselves before him and let's spend time with him by studying his word. But let's also make sure that we're spending time with him in prayer. So I'm going to go.